Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. It's good to be present with you today, and um, I hope you guys with families and kids uh, just keep that information intact that we just shared because we want to help our kids stay connected um, to each other, to God, to the path of discipleship. So that's important info. You know, as, as we just uh, worshiped and prayed, um, spent some time together being present to the Lord in that way, uh, even as Louise prayed, she prayed for John Rennie kids. Maybe some of you didn't recognize the reference of a um, really tragic uh, event that happened this week in the West Island community. Um, and we're, we're praying for that community, for uh, specifically a family uh, who lost their son this week and uh, other families involved uh, in all of this and the whole John Rennie school. And so we, we, we just want to keep prayerful for that. And I want to encourage you, uh, if you know um, people personally affected in this, um, here's an opportunity for you to be present to them, to, to be appropriately present as the Lord might lead you, uh, to be prayerful, but also to be ready uh, to serve and encourage in any way you can. So I want to encourage you to, you to do that. I'm going to shift um, my posture towards teaching, and we're starting something new today. And, uh, and as, as I start this, I want you to think about this for a second. Um, I want you to imagine that our church is the only church in the city of Montreal. That West Side Gathering, would, that there's no Westview or Fairview Alliance or Evangel or La Chapelle uh, or Nouvelle Vie or something like that. That our church would be the only church in the city. And that we would be kind of a blip on the radar in our province um, or spe- specifically in our city. And, and imagine for a second that there would be no cultural um, Christian history to, 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 to be remembered that there's no remembrance of a moment when sometimes schools had prayers in the schools or there's, there's no hotel that you ever go to where there's a Bible in the drawer. There's no radio or uh, Christian radio. There's no 94-7 hits as we have it now these days in Montreal. There's no bookstores. You can't buy a Christian book or a Bible on Amazon. There's no organizations like Youth for Christ or Power to Change or InterVarsity, Christian Direction. Uh, that there's no memory in, in our country with, you know, the words on Parliament that are etched into the concrete from Psalm 72, that God would have dominion from sea to sea. There would be none of that. Imagine that for a second. We're the only church in the city. There's no Christian cultural memory. And that the province or the state would have real no concern or concept of what a church is, uh, what a church is about, why a church exists, or any even benefit of a church being around. And imagine that Westside wasn't a couple of hundred people, that maybe we were uh, 10, 20, maybe 50 people who trust Jesus as Lord and gather on Sundays for worship and prayer, scripture, communion, encouragement, and we would share our resources with one another to bless each other and to bless those in our proximity. You know, even if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're listening to us today, I want you to imagine that, like no, no concept of church in history. And for a church like that, in that moment, you'd feel like a small boat in a really, really large ocean. You would feel like a flickering light in a big world. 
There was an apostle. His name was John. He spent time with Jesus. He wrote one of the Gospels. He wrote a few letters later on in the New Testament. And he writes a letter to churches that felt like that. Churches that felt like that in the first century. Churches that were one church in a very large city. I want you to keep that image in mind as we, we kick off a new series today. And the series is called Flickering Lampstands. And that reference is there for a purpose, and we'll get into it. In fact, we're starting uh, what I call a mini-series in Revelation chapter 1 to 3. Now, you might be thinking, oh my gosh, Dave, why are we going through Revelation? That's a pretty complicated book, and it is a, it is a complex book. There's been a fascination around uh, the book of Revelation, actually for centuries, um, and it's often been quoted. Uh, these days, people will maybe make reference to it, uh, to current events and what's going on in another part of the world or even in our own country. Uh, but there's been a fascination with Revelation ever since John penned those words. In fact, around the end of the second century, as they were compiling books of the New Testament, they wondered if Revelation should even be used. And when the canon got put together in the third century or, or middle of the fourth century, they, they wondered, should, should we even include this book? I mean, is it, is it useful for teaching? Is it useful for discipleship? There's so many parts of this book. There's so many images in here that seem uh, difficult to understand and difficult to, trend, to you know, just to, 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 to communicate. And last couple of years, uh, I've been trying to devotionally and also in a study way kind of read, in, read Revelation a little bit more. And when thinking about how we can work through it as a church community. Now, you, it's a really unique letter. And like I said, uh, it's been controversial historically. Even, even Martin Luther in the 15th century uh, during the Reformation wondered, you know, is there any purpose to using this book? Uh, and so he wondered about that, if there was any purpose for discipleship. And yet here we find ourselves, uh, we're going to take um, a deep dive into this, into this New Testament letter. And we're going to do it in the form of mini-series. Uh, so not all in one shot, but over the course of X amount of months, maybe even longer, that we kind of find ourselves in certain pockets of, of this letter. And I want to read Revelation chapter 1. It's, it's, uh, it's the first chapter of this letter. It's it like the first chapter, and I'd say the 21st chapter, probably the most important chapters of this letter, because... These two chapters set the tone for the letter, give us a lens for this letter, give us a purpose for it. And so I want to read Revelation uh, 1 with us today. We're going to read the whole first chapter, and the next few weeks we're going to be digging into chapters 1 to 3 uh, together. So as a practice, let's just pause for a moment, take a deep breath, be present to the work of the Spirit as we read God's Word to the church. Let's read it. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, 
from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he's coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him even those who pierced him. And on his account, all tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother, who share with you in Jesus the persecution and the kingdom and the patient endurance, was on an island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. They're referring to Sunday. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write in the book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, to Laodicea. Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around across his chest. His head and his hair were white as wool, white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined as, a, as in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters." In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining with full force. When I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. But he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. And the living one. I was dead, and see, I am alive forever and ever, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Now write what you have seen, what is and what it is to take place after this. And as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. God, we don't pretend to walk into this um, without trepidation because um, we have blind spots and assumptions and presuppositions and some of us have a YouTube video in our mind of what Revelation is about. Some of us have an old book we've read. Some of us have a conversation. Some of us have a blog post or a Facebook post. So we want to put all that aside, God, and invite you to lead us and guide us. Help us to be present um, to your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, and I don't pretend to not have assumptions or presuppositions but my hope is as we begin to jump into this letter that we can uh, really surrender ourselves and lay aside um, some of the presuppositions and assumptions and maybe lenses we've had to try and dig into this uh, scripture, this part of scripture. There's a word to the churches here. That's, that's the heartbeat of what, what we're getting at. Verse 4, John specifically tells us that he is writing to the seven churches in Asia. He lists these seven churches. So there is a word to seven churches. What kind of word is often debated or talked about or discussed? 
Uh, many people love to, to view the book of Revelation as fortune-telling or as letting us know what's going to happen. And we even see a reference to that in verse 19. But what kind of word are we talking about? Well, we, we're talking about a revelation. It's actually, the title is The Revelation. Not Revelations, but The Revelation. The Revelation of Jesus Christ. The Revelation from Jesus Christ. And the word revelation is fascinating because the Greek word is apocalypso or the apocalypse or what some of us call apocalyptic. Now, whenever you hear that word, if you've seen it or heard it in a movie or you've heard it talked about in certain settings, it's often a doomsday type of word. Wait for the apocalypse. Wait for what's going to happen. Wait for the end of the world. But I just want to let you know, really bluntly, the word apocalypse basically means an unveiling. And that's what has happened to John as he's given this vision. It's almost like a curtain has been pulled from his eyes to be able to see what's behind the scenes, to be able to notice that God is at work and what God is doing and what is taking place even in the midst of their ordinary day lives and their ordinary struggles and their tensions as they are a witness to God's kingdom in their world and their time. The word apocalypse means to pull the curtain back. And apocalyptic writing often uses graphic and imaginative words and, and uh, phrases and vivid and metaphorical ideas. Think of books like The Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit or The Chronicles of Narnia. Think of that kind of literature that paints a picture like The Lord of the Rings of mountains and smoke and rings and hobbits and, and wizards. And what, they're, what, what Tolkien was trying to do was help us to see something using this imaginative language. It wasn't that the metaphors were um, literal, but they were still true. And this is important with the Revelation. A lot of the images are not literal, but they're true. They might be metaphorical. John uses the word like a lot. You know, Jesus' voice sounded like a trumpet. It wasn't literally a trumpet. Jesus' voice sounded like the sounding waves. It wasn't literally the sounding waves, but it's referring to the power and truth of that voice. And so this kind of language gets our attention. It opens our minds, and it frees us to see what we need to see. And that's similar to the next kind of word that revelation is. Revelation is a prophetic word, like an Old Testament prophet. When Isaiah spoke, or Ezekiel spoke, or Daniel spoke, uh, you know, they spoke to their time, in their time. When Jeremiah writes to the exiles in Babylon, he's writing to them as a prophet. He's giving them a prophetic word that was relevant for their time and their situation. And often the prophets called us back to God's purposes. And sometimes the prophets gave us comfort. And sometimes the prophets challenged us and, and called us to correction. So Revelation is prophetic. And Revelation is also a letter. Simply put, it's a letter written to seven churches in Asia Minor. It's personal, it's local, it's specific. And, and so I'm going to be very like transparent. My approach and our approach as we jump into these mini-series out of Revelation is going to be a pastoral prophetic approach, not a predictive approach. Even though we see some kind of hints towards the future, our approach will be a pastoral, prophetic approach. The predictive approach to Revelation has been very popular the last 150 years, and it started in the late 1800s um, by someone named John Darby in the UK. Uh, it didn't really spread there too much. He came to America, and it caught wind here and started to spread in America, and then from America went to the, other, went to the rest of the world. 
And it was a much more predictive approach to Revelation, trying to find what's happening next and find it in the headlines and the news and global powers and all kinds of things. And I'm not saying that none of that is possible here, but it's gotten a lot of preachers and a lot of teachers and a lot of writers in a lot of trouble because some of these messages and books that were written of all these predictions were often out of date within a year or two. I'm old enough to remember someone coming to my church when I was in my teen years uh, in 1988, and this person wrote a book that there's 88 reasons why Jesus is coming in 1988. And January 1st, 1989, it didn't happen. And I graduated high school two years later, went on, and here we are 30 years later. I'm not saying that it's not possible that this letter informs us about the future, but what I'm saying is It's hard for me to think back in my lifetime of a Christian radio host who focused on the end times and ever really got it right. Because I don't believe the purpose is that. I believe it's a prophetic pastoral purpose and not a predictive purpose. John's pastoral concern and prophetic message will always be in season. Every era, every generation, every church, every place on the planet. Regardless of what the headlines say, John's prophetic pastoral word to us is always in season. And so that's the kind of word it is. And where the word comes from, John helps us understand in verse 4 to 5 where the word comes from. He says, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. From God the Father. From the seven spirits who are before his throne, which is a nod to the Holy Spirit. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the first born of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. And we see a Trinitarian uh, source for this word. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We see all kinds of tie-ins to the apostolic witness in the gospel. We see the cross and the resurrection in this letter. We ultimately see a word from God. Verses 1 to 2 help us get a sense that this word comes from God to Jesus, to the angel or the messenger, to John, to the servants. The literal word is slaves, but it's really to the churches, to those who follow King Jesus wholeheartedly. That's the flow of this message. And the message is to the churches. Verse 4, verse 11 to these churches. These are seven real churches in Asia Minor. There's a map that's going to go on the screen that gives you a little glimpse of of where they were situated. And the map today corresponds to modern-day Turkey. Um, But back then it was called Asia Minor, and it was how the church had expanded from Jerusalem and throughout the Roman Empire. And these are seven specific churches, seven specific cities, real cities. And if you look at the map, you can also see the island of Patmos off the coast. That's where John is writing from. He's sitting in prison, and he's writing this as this vision comes to him. So this is really important for us because especially in these next few weeks as we dig into these first three chapters, but for the whole book, for the whole letter, this is a personal and local letter to these churches. It represents the church in that moment in these cities. Now it was also a circular letter 
Just like some of the letters of Paul got read sometimes by other churches that were in a distance where it could have traveled to. So it's very possible that other cities and other Christians read this letter as well. But it was identified specifically to these churches, the struggles they're going through, the culture they're living in, the city that they are a part of. Because the aim was to disciple them for their time to encourage them in their situation, to form them for their mission, to call them out of their own detours and apathy, and to equip them to be God's living and local presence in their time and place. Here's the really beautiful thing about this and why it relates to us in Montreal. This was an urban letter. These were urban churches. These were Christians who lived in urban cities. And like I started off, imagine, you know, just 50 of them In a big urban city, you might think, well, 2,000 years ago, how big was it? Well, Ephesus was as big as 200,000 to 250,000 people. The smallest city listed here is about 75,000 people. That's bigger than a lot of the little town, a lot of the towns across along the 401. Kingston, in the middle of Montreal and Toronto, is 125,000 people. Now, of course, cities have become astronomical over 2,000 years with population growth. But these cities that are written to, these were were urban centers in Asia Minor within the Roman Empire. So this was a word to urban churches in urban cities. And you and I, living in Montreal, living in the West Island, living in parts of the pockets of Laval, the South Shore, Vaudreuil, downtown, Westmount, St. Laurent, whatever that is, we can relate to the life and rhythm that these listeners, the, the people who first read this letter were feeling. We understand the life and rhythm and struggles of a city. Cities are powerful forces. Cities have a culture and spirit almost of their own. And often we refer to cities in the female sense. Uh, You know, like we talk about New York, the way she feels or looks or the kind of uh, culture that she has. Or Montreal, you know, that beautiful city, how I miss her. Often, even in the first century, we get that sense that cities had this female uh, label to them. Rome was often seen as a goddess, the goddess of Roma. And when... John writes this letter. One of the imaginative metaphors he uses for Rome is Babylon. But one of the metaphors he uses for Babylon is pretty negative. He calls Babylon the great whore. I'm sorry, but that's just what he calls her. Yet Jerusalem is referred to as the bride getting ready for a marriage. There's a tension between the cities. There's a tension between Rome and and the new Jerusalem. There's a tension between the Roman Empire and the kingdom of God. Which kingdom, which power will you worship? Which one will you follow? Which one will your life be shaped by? Michael Gorman writes a great book called Reading Revelation Responsibly, and that's our hope as we walk through any text of Scripture. But he says that Revelation equips us for uncivil worship and witness. Now, don't freak out over the word uncivil. It doesn't mean like crazy or loud or obnoxious, but what it means is that our worship and our witness is not influenced by the city, by the civil society. We have an uncivil worship and witness because our worship and witness is influenced by the kingdom of God. So it's not uncivilized, but it's a clear distinction of who we worship. 
And in the middle of this, these cities, they're, they're, these churches in these cities, John sees them as lampstands. When, when, when this apocalypse happens, when this revelation or unveiling takes place, and he sees behind the curtain, he sees these cities as seven lampstands. This is the vision he gets of them as, as a witness, alerting the world to God's kingdom. And this is really connected to the whole of the New Testament, right? Jesus called his first disciples light of the world, light and salt, like a city on a hill. You can be seen. Let your light shine before men, Jesus says. So the, this vision of a lampstand is not foreign to the New Testament, is not different than the words of Jesus or Paul. But what we get to is that a lampstand is part of a city, part of a block, part of a place. So these lampstands have a, are, are in a presence, the presence of others, are in a proximity to the world around them. They're local, they're planted in their culture, and they're living, they're reflecting God's kingdom. And if you've been around Westside long enough, we often like to say and believe that God has called us to be his living and local presence, his living planted in our culture. Sorry, living, meaning that we're reflecting God's kingdom and we're local, we're planted in our culture. This is the beauty of this amazing image. Now, the church is not literally a lampstand. That's just a metaphor, like many other metaphors in Revelation. But it's truthful because it helps us understand what the church is and its purpose. There's seven lampstands. There's seven spirits, referring to the Holy Spirit. There's seven stars, referring to the messengers or the messages for the Spirit. And then there's seven lampstands. It's beautiful because seven over and over again in the book of Revelation refers to the sense of fulfillment and completion. And so it's all tied in to the rest of the book. But think about this for a second. Seven spirits, seven messages, seven churches or seven lampstands. I think that's forcing us to or helping us see that the church, every church is birthed by the Holy Spirit. Every church is led by the Holy Spirit, called to be led by the Holy Spirit. Every church can be comforted or corrected by the Holy Spirit. Every church, including Westside, is called to be empowered by the witness, to be a witness, empowered by the Spirit, to be his living in local presence. And this is so vital because the early church and the modern church, we exist by the work of the Spirit. We're birthed and empowered and shaped and formed and comforted and challenged and convicted and even corrected. But here's the overall message, because next week we're going to get into each church, which is going to be super fun, and each of them will have uh, incredible practical lessons for us, but also ways that we can reflect on ourselves and in our culture. But here's, here's the overall messages, uh, message to the churches, and one I think we still need today. And, and the first one is security. Verse 13, um, John writes in verse 13 that he sees these golden lampstands, and then in the middle of them, he sees, in the middle of these lampstands, he sees one like the Son of Man. And he goes on for several verses to describe what the Son of Man looks like, describing the beauty and glory of Jesus. But just for a moment, think about this. Jesus stands among the lampstands. This first message to the churches, to all of us, and even us today, is a message of security. 
Not that all will be perfect, but a message of security because when you see how John describes Jesus, the most beautiful, robust picture of Jesus, his hair is white, he's full of wisdom, he is, he's full of power. There's hints of Daniel's prophecy of Ezekiel and, and Isaiah that point to the Ancient of Days, the wise and powerful and holy and pure and just Son of Man, Messiah, God's Son, our King. We don't want to reduce the vision to each component. We don't want to just, you know, get so caught up with, you know, how white is the hair and, you know, how white is this wool and is the snow, is it really snow or, you know, what are these eyes like the flame of fire and the feet burnished bronze? Like these are all important pieces. But if we get so caught up with each little element, we, we miss the big picture, the beauty and glory and strength and power of the ancient of days who is Jesus Yes, one, his face was like, not literally, but like the sun shining with full force. There is brightness and light and power and truth in him. And so we see this vivid picture of Jesus. And it's this Jesus, think about this, that's standing among the churches. It's this Son of Man that's standing among the lampstands. And imagine how comforting that was what kind of security that brought to these churches that were a blip on the radar of the Roman Empire, that were a blip in their 50 people and 250,000 people in Ephesus or what that felt like. They, were, they heard this and they're like, we're not alone. We're not forgotten. We're not left without help or without guidance. King Jesus stands among us and with us. And he suffered with us and he suffers with us and he strengthens us and he secures us through this. He stands among us. So whatever they're going to hear in particular to their context as John begins to write to them specifically, they also hear this word of security. They also hear another word and it's a word of hope. John, uh, in verse 17 when, when John sees Jesus in this way, in this beautiful, grandiose ways, I mean, he falls to his feet as though dead. It's like prostrate, surrender. Jesus is awesome before him. But then Jesus placed his hand on him, and Jesus says these words, Don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. By the way, which is a reference to what I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the first and the last and the living one. And, and here's, here's the hope. I was dead. And see, I'm alive forever and ever. I went to the cross. I went to the grave. But I resurrected and I ascended. I'm dead. I was dead. But wait, I'm alive. And I have the keys of death in Hades. I have full control and authority over death and hell and everything. This is a call to hope for this church. This church needs to hear this hope that while they're suffering, while they're discerning what it means to be a witness as a little blip on the radar of the Roman world, they have hope because the one they serve and the one they worship and the one they love and the one they uh, have, have allegiance towards, he was dead, but now he's alive and he's still alive and he holds the keys of death. Here's this third word to them. And it's probably one of the most important ones. It's the word of faithful discipleship. Verse 3 
is probably the key lens in reading Revelation. John says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy. And then, blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. We'll come back to that time is near phrase. But the word is, is awesome because the word is kairos. It's not chronos. It's not chronological time. It's kairos time. It's in this moment, what is happening? This moment is crucial. The time is near. Jesus used the same word when he said the kingdom of God is near. The time has come. Repent and believe. So it's a moment in time where we must listen, pay attention, stand up and say, okay, what's happening? And here in this moment... The word is, you're blessed, not just if you hear these words, but if you hear it and keep these words. It's the first blessing of seven, seven blessings in Revelation, the whole letter. And it's this blessing, a sense of like the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed is the one who is, and then Jesus lists these things. It's a blessing of, hey, you're part of, you can be part of God's kingdom. You can be part of God's vision. And here's this first blessing. If you hear and keep these words, if you do this, you are blessed in the sense that you become partners, participants in the life fulfilling God's vision rooted in his kingdom when we listen and when we respond. And I just want to say this, because you're going to read stuff in Revelation, you're going to hear stuff in Revelation, people are going to send you videos about Revelation, but I really believe verse 3, not verse 19, is the main purpose of Revelation. Verse 19 says, now write what you have seen, what is and what is to take place after this. Well, because John has seen something and he's going to write this down, but often we take that as the main lens of Revelation, but I think verse 3 is the main lens of Revelation. Hear these words and keep them. You know what? If I tell you that in three years from now, uh, something's going to happen in our city. I don't know. We're going to change the Olympic Stadium. The Expos are going to come back, something like that. How do you keep those words? You can't keep those words. You can just look forward to them, maybe, if that's what you'd like to see happen. But you can only keep words that are meant for you to live, that are meant for you to lean into, that are meant for you to respond to. Verse 3 calls us, there's a blessedness when we keep, when we obey, when we're faithful, when we live in response to this letter. Because this letter is not just information. It's not just future prediction. We're called to live in this moment, this Kairos moment, to respond to it. I love the way Michael Gorman writes it. He says, we read Revelation as words from a pastor prophet, ultimately from God, in order to be formed and transformed not merely informed. We read these words. The, the, the purpose of this letter is to form us and to transform us, not just to inform us. And too often we've read them to inform us, but they're called to form us and transform us. And John knew this, and he knew the heart of this, because John also was a faithful disciple. Verse 9 says that he was a witness, a testimony of Jesus, that he was on the island of Patmos because of God and because of the testimony of Jesus. It's because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus that he was there. His patient endurance, his faithful discipleship, his call to be a witness led him there. It didn't tell him to go there, but by very nature of what he was doing, his life implicated him, and they put him on the island of Patmos. And he's not overly bothered by it. 
In fact, he says, you know, it's because of God's word and the testimony of Jesus that I'm here. That says so much. And then I love verse 12 because, and I'll just leave you with the image. You know, John says, I turned to see, literally, I think in the Greek, it's to see the voice. How do you see a voice? You don't see a voice, you hear a voice. But here it's to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. It's this experience almost of the divine voice of Jesus. And when he hears this and sees this voice, later on he falls down in worship. And, and here's what we get, how this connects to our faithful discipleship. The one who was among the churches was also above the churches. The one who is among us, who suffers with us, who associates with us, who intercedes for us, the one who's among us, Jesus, is also above us. He's Lord. This is a reference even to Jesus' baptism and transfiguration, right? Where after those moments, there's a voice that says, this is my son, listen to him. Listen to him and obey him. So we're called, you and I are called to keep the word. Everyday life of discipleship for urban followers of Jesus in urban centers like the Roman Empire, like the Canadian Empire, like the worldly empire, we are called to keep the words of Jesus, to keep the words in this letter because we're urban followers of Jesus living in an urban city. And that's why I believe that Revelation is less about telling us what comes next and more about preparing us for whatever comes next, regardless of what that is. The work of discipleship in every age requires that we are always prepared for whatever comes next, but not to be so overly worried about looking for telling us what comes next. And here's how we're going to end today and transition for next week. How do we start immersing ourselves in this letter? How do we start immersing ourselves in Revelation? How do we as a church, as a follower of Jesus, or if you're just following us for the first time and you've heard quotes and your friends have posted it on Facebook and someone told you that the vaccine is connected to some verse in Revelation and you're wondering, how do I read this? How do I, how, how do I like, is this even worth it for me? And here's how on a posture myself and ourselves, and I hope you do the same, is it's a posture of listening. Let's listen to this word to us. This ancient word to the, to the early church becomes a fresh word for our modern church. Joe Mangina said these words in a commentary. He said, the origins of the church reside in an act of profound listening. The best thing you and I can do in this cultural moment that we live in as residents of our amazing, beautiful city of Montreal but how do we follow Jesus? We must resign in the act of profound listening to the words of this prophecy, to the words of this text, to God's word. And so this series, what we're doing is we're listening for a fresh word. We're trying to get a fresh word for us today out of the ancient word that was for that early church. And it's all, let me frame this as, we, as I close this right now. It's all with a focus on Jesus. It's the revelation of Jesus, from Jesus. That's good news. See, Jesus wants to reveal himself to us in Revelation. That means Revelation is a revealing text. Jesus wants to remind us that he's with us. 
through this. That means that Revelation is a comforting text. And Jesus has a word for you and me in this moment for us. That means that Revelation is a challenging text for us. So it's a revealing text. It's a comforting text. It's a challenging text. And I believe if we posture ourselves to listen, we're going to get everything that we need to get and also have the right lens in understanding that. Let's close in prayer. God, we're, we just we read this chapter and there's so much in it. We could talk about it for hours. And I want to submit my own blind spots and my own presuppositions and assumptions. I want to submit the way I maybe have reacted to things I've learned in the past or what I'm reacting to moments even in the current. And I just acknowledge that, Lord, as in my own humanity. And I pray that you can help me have an apocalyptic moment, an unveiling moment to truly see Jesus, his revelation, his comfort, his challenge to me. And Lord, I pray that we can all posture ourselves to listen. We live in unique times. But we're not unique in, as humans or in history. Your church has gone through so many times similar to this. So many times that have been more difficult than this. And sometimes that have been easier than this. But we want to receive this pastoral prophetic word to us because it's relevant in all times and in our season. So we posture ourselves to listen and to obey faithful discipleship. Uh, may this season of walking through these messages to these churches be not just enlightening information, but God made form us and transform us to be your living and local presence for our lives to be part of your kingdom vision and for us to truly draw deeper to you and your purposes. God, in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Oh, man. That was a wordful, eh? I know that today was like uh, an initial, some initial context that I wanted us to grasp and get. And uh, I'm excited for the weeks to come. There's two other people also teaching this part of the series. So that's great too. You won't just be hearing my voice. But let me wrap up today uh, with a couple of things. One, I encourage you to digest what we've been learning today. Not on your own. Uh, call someone from church. Text them. Set up a, a Zoom call or a FaceTime chat or go on a walk with them. Or I'd encourage you to do that. I'd also encourage you that, you know, next week, even though we're gathering online for the next two weeks, uh, you know, within restrictions, you can meet any each other's homes. If you want to spend some time uh, listening, engaging our Sunday gathering with a few other people, do that. Set that up. We can't make that happen. Only you can open up your home or only you can reach out to others to, to make that happen. So I encourage you to do that for the next couple of Sundays. That'll be super helpful, encouraging for you. I encourage you to stay connected uh, beyond Sundays. Uh, youth and young adults have connecting points. Prayer groups have some connecting points. And here's three particular West Side, uh, our West Side uh, families or Kids Quest are setting up a skating time this afternoon, 2 p.m. Uh, at, uh, at Point Claire Village. There's a skating oval right in the middle of the village. We encourage you to carve out some time there after lunch to get over there, even if you don't want to skate, to walk around, to, you know, bump into some Westsiders, have some conversations. That's happening today, 2 p.m. Uh, our announcement around how we're navigating uh, the vaccination passport and other things. We're having a meeting this 
Thursday evening at 7.30, Uh, The way to get a link to that is to sign up to our e-news. You can do that on our website. You can send us a note at connect at westsidegathering.com. Very easy, and we'll help you get connected to our email e-news so you can get an announcement for that, but it's this Thursday evening. And then a bunch of men from our church are having a men's breakfast, although it's over Zoom. This Saturday, it's a very practical theme. It's going to be on personal finance, and someone in our church is going to facilitate that, and then it'll be a broad discussion, and I hope that encourages you for some practical things and some connections with some other guys. So that's some of the stuff that's going on beyond Sundays. And as we wrap up today, uh, for those of you who have given or seen um, funds, leave your account and come into the, the West Side Fund for mission uh, and, and ministry. Thank you. I pray that as, as, as you give and donate your own resources, that you can see that as, as witness and mission and generosity and worship. Um, if you want to give today uh, like a one-time gift, you can easily get to our website and give. Super simple to do that. And we thank you for that and encourage you to do that. And also, as you do that, do it as an act of worship uh, as what we've been doing today together. So God bless you, everyone. Have a great day. Let's stay connected and don't hesitate to reach out to us for prayer, care, or other questions. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.